everyone, and welcome to the She Research Podcast. I'm your host, Kate McKay, and today I'm joined by Shun Gallagher. Hello, Shun. Hello, Kate. How are you? Oh, I'm well. What good. about you? I'm good, thank you. So today, Shun has joined me to talk about her paper, Testimonial Injustice, Discounting Women's Voices in Healthcare Priority Setting, which is published in the Journal of Medical Ethics and was co-authored with Miles Little and Claire Hooker. Is that right, Shin? Yeah, that's correct. Cool. So I wonder if you can give our listeners just the kind of elevator pitch summary of your paper. Yeah, happy to. I guess the bottom line is that the uh, paper makes a case that the chances of fair allocation of healthcare resources, especially to disadvantaged and marginalized uh, groups, are reduced by the tendency of, of resource allocation procedure to discount the voices of women. Mm-hmm. And so the paper describes the nature of this di- discounting, mm-hmm. which is testimonial injustice, and explores its effects. And then we make some suggestions as to how the problem might be addressed. So what is testimonial injustice in a nutshell? It's a bias or an injustice that Mm -hmm. arises from the bias of some hearers against the input of certain types of participant in a deliberation. And this uh, bias arises from uh, their negative perceptions of the speaker's social identity. So we often find it um, associated with with women or with people of color, with people um, of lower educational attainment. So their voices are less likely to be uh, taken on board. Now, I can give you a bit of a kind of a plain English uh, version that we use in the paper, which was how Julie Bishop, who was Australia's previous foreign minister, experienced it Mm -hmm. in the cabinet room of all places. Mm. This is what what she said uh, in her sort of retirement interview. Uh, She said, if I spoke in a room of 20 men, if I would put forward my idea, there was a sort of a silence. It was as if I hadn't spoken. And then somebody would say precisely what I had said or come up with precisely the same idea. And then they'd say, oh, that's a great idea. Why don't we do that? So that's, in a nutshell, what it feels like to uh, experience testimonial injustice. And so the primary harms then are felt by the person because they feel terrible. They feel that they've been disrespected mm-hmm. as members. And uh, regardless of how much knowledge they have, that is not valued in the process that they're being part of. And that is really pretty terrible. And there are secondary uh, disadvantages or, uh, as well, secondary harms, and they are to the people who are deprived of the knowledge. Mm-hmm. So obviously, those actively depriving the person of credit for the knowledge are disadvantaged because they're missing a whole piece of knowledge that might have helped them to make a better evaluation or a better decision. But the recipients at the end point of the decision are also uh, disadvantaged because the uh, process is faulty. Mm -hmm. Because 
lack of relevant information being brought to bear on the problem. Mm-hmm. So were some of these negative outcomes the motivating factors for writing the paper? Or was it uh, something else? Yes, what we had... Um, we had done an empirical bioethics interview study uh, where we wanted to understand the ethical dimensions of being involved in macro allocation mm-hmm. from the perspective of doctors who engage in it. Macro allocation is the same thing as priority setting, but at the level of populations or patient groups rather than at the bedside. Okay. And it's kind of, it's a bureaucratic process and it often gathers people together from different stakeholder groups and from different uh, technical expert groups in order to provide the sort of information uh, based on knowledge and expertise that's necessary for making the right decision. So doctors are big players in uh, this. So the type of process I'm talking about includes uh, things like um, the clinical councils of local health districts or equivalent regional authorities, and in Australia, the pharmaceutical Benefits Advisory Committee, which mm-hmm. is a national level committee. We uh, had studied the issues that participants thought were ethically significant. Mm-hmm. And by and large, most people, um, male and female amongst our, our, our 20 participants, had come up with the same range of issues. Unfairness in opportunity to participate, political decision-making overriding their input their decisions and the overall a general lack of support for the effort that they put in mm-hmm. but there was one thing that women came up with that was unique to the women in the group although i hadn't really thought that we would be analyzing by subgroup they reported this feeling of having their or experience of having their input um, discounted ignored or being made to feel that they didn't belong in the process Uh, And this obviously resonated with Miranda Fricker's idea of testimonial injustice. And we made reference to it in our paper, uh, but uh, wanted to return to it. Mm -hmm. And the impetus really uh, to come back to it at a more theoretical level was this uh, Julie Bishop interview, which made really quite a big uh, impression. And the other thing that was going on at the time was a bit of a focus on... Uh, bias against women generally in medicine Mm. and Lancet in particular had an issue around the general topic at the same time so we thought that this was a good uh, chance to highlight the issue in this particular dimension which is macro allocation or the involvement of medical professionals in uh, the allocation of healthcare resources Mm -hmm. Uh, and to bring forward uh, the significance of of that just for the individual's uh, concerned, you know, the, the, yeah, those who experience the primary harms, mm-hmm. uh, but the broader uh, implications for healthcare resource allocation and its fairness and the people who bear the consequences of the decisions down the line. Mm. So is your paper primarily focused on these sorts of harms? Uh, no, it's equally probably uh, divided uh, in its attention between the primary harms mm-hmm. and the the secondary harms. Mm-hmm. So in the area of primary harms, we obviously draw out the general uh, harms to women, but we also highlight a few specific areas, including the idea that, um, like it or not, participation in macro allocation 
is an opportunity to create reputations mm -hmm. and even to attract uh, resources to mm -hmm. your own service. Mm -hmm. uh, this is, as I said, not necessarily de desirable, but there's no particular reason why that should be allowed to accrue mm -hmm. uh, in the case of men, but not in the case of women or in the case of any advantaged group over a disadvantaged group. So that also has a potential to cause women to opt out of macro allocation long term and, and potentially experience negative impacts on the flourishing of their career. Mm -hmm. And then potentially as role models to discourage participation of future women in future processes. So um, that was sort of broadly how we outlined the uh, primary harms. And the secondary harms arise from the differences between men and women's practice. At that, by that I mean, uh, well, I actually mean two things. One is their um, practice in deliberation mm -hmm. uh, and that women are uh, have a different style. They have different... Um, uh, give different moral weights to different issues. They're more likely to champion uh, the needs of marginalised and disadvantaged people. Mm -hmm. And so if you're selectively tuning that out, those people don't get to be represented and those issues don't get to be represented. Now, the other aspect of practice is that women do actually congregate in uh, some specialties more than in others. Uh, and so they're more likely to be representing uh, some of the lower status medical specialties mm -hmm. uh, and areas of healthcare endeavor. And so this means that it's systematically embedded that these, these voices uh, or the, the champions for these issues uh, are not heard, uh, then we will continue to have resources allocated to the traditionally powerful specialties. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So did you face any particular challenges while you were writing the paper or while you were collecting the data? The focus of this paper was more on the, the marriage of theoretical with the, the idea that this is a problem. Mm -hmm. And I guess that was probably the hardest thing, establishing that as a problem, because there's not much uh, research at all in the personal aspect and the interpersonal aspects of macro allocation procedure. Mm -hmm. uh, so apart from our own paper, which described this, uh, there really wasn't anywhere to go to say definitively that women doctors in macro allocation experience testimonial injustice. So I had to draw from a broader palette of women in policymaking generally mm. uh, and in macro allocation generally experiencing testimonial injustice mm -hmm. and then to marry that with the theoretical uh, literature on uh, testimonial injustice. So that was probably the, the biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what would you say is your final sort of recommendation? Because I know that in the paper you um, propose some remedies. We proposed three remedies. The first one is um, selective uh, or affirmative recruitment to mm. macro allocation deliberation panels. Mm. And the basis for this is contested, but it is that if you're not in the room, you're not going to find your issues represented. Mm -hmm. 
we want to redress the balance, we have to make sure that the people who can represent the full uh, gamut of issues are present in the room. So that would be a rationale for it. Uh, I think another is that it makes you think of overall how you might improve recruitment uh, to these panels because they're often just based on evidence, mm -hmm. uh, knowledge. Well, there are other characteristics that people in macro allocation deliberations need to have, and that's a willingness to deliberate. Mm. Uh, and certainly you could build into the criteria the idea that one must be willing to interrogate one's own biases and those of one's collaborators mm. in a deliberation. Mm -hmm. um, so our, that was probably our, our first and simplest idea. The second idea was to harness the idea um, of a deliberative expert, which is an idea put forward by Fisher, and that the deliberative expert is sort of oil between the cogs. Uh, mm -hmm. of a deliberative process, that they have, would have a particular uh, expertise in making sure that the interpersonal aspects, the interactions in deliberation are uh, adequately attended to in macroallocation procedure. Mm -hmm. um, now, this seems sort of a bit of a luxury, uh, and we adapted it a bit to say, well, look, if uh, somebody, and it's often a policy analyst or a senior bureaucrat uh, or combination thereof, if somebody is responsible for bringing together panels mm -hmm. uh, and for taking input, it would seem reasonable that if they want to do the job right, which they generally do, uh, they would have to extend their care within the procedure beyond the usual sort of principles that would apply mm -hmm. to actually tend to this issue of bias and testimonial injustice and provide leadership for that. So both by actively engaging with the discussion, mm -hmm. uh, but also by making the uh, procedure safe, by designing it effectively. Yeah. So the final one really was to harness this idea that uh, was used by women in the Obama administration in the US, and I think they called it amplification. Mm -hmm. And so what they did in a systematic sort of a way was when women made uh, contributions to the deliberation to repeat them, distribute mm -hmm. them, draw the attention onto the person who had spoken them in the first place so that there was no chance of the issue being lost or the uh, issue being appropriated by somebody else, the idea being appropriated rather by somebody else. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Shen. That's really interesting. And it's great to hear about your research and about this paper. Um, any interested listeners can find the paper linked at the bottom of this episode's notes. And thank you so much for speaking on the She Research Podcast, Shen. It's been great to have you. Ah, you're very welcome, Kate. I enjoyed it. Excellent. Thanks for listening, everyone. And if you'd like to hear more of our She Research podcasts, you can find us on Anchor or Spotify or wherever you find podcasts of quality. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.